Well, good morning again. Oh, it is so nice to have a baby in worship this morning. I love it when babies come to worship. Hi. He loves the attention, doesn't he? I love it. Well, we are back in, can anybody tell me? First John. And let me, I thought I had that pulled up. Well, we're back in the book of First John, and today I'll be using the New King James Version of the Bible. Now, today the title of the message is, is What Love Does. And we could replace that word love with Jesus, what Jesus does. Now, today we're talking about love, and a part of that is laying down your life for the brethren. And we'll get into that later. To that effect, I've got a story about selflessness. Selflessness. An American, a Frenchman, and a Canadian go on vacation to Saudi Arabia, and once there, they're caught eating smuggled-in pork chops. So they're arrested, and each is sentenced to a hundred lashes by the whip as punishment. Now the officer assigned to do the whipping says, It's my favorite wife's birthday, and she asks that I show a little compassion as I work today. I will give each one of you a wish to make this less horrible. Well, the Frenchman is first, and quite pleased with himself, says, I wish to have a pillow strapped to my back. And after about 25 lashes, the pillow is in tatters, and he's still quite injured. Well, the Canadian, who's a little smarter, says, I wish to have two pillows strapped to my back. And after 50 or so lashes, the pillows are in tatters, and he is still punished. Next comes the American, quite put off by this whole ordeal. He's surprised to hear that despite the animosity, this Saudi quite respects the American people. And as such, he will be offered two wishes instead of one. And he says immediately, I wish for a thousand lashes. Well, the Saudi is taken back. And he knew all American movies espouse selflessness and accepting justice. But he would never expect such a display here. In awe, he asks, what is your second wish? The American responds, I want the Canadian and the French man strapped to my back. Isn't it all about being selfless? That's just a joke. Don't worry, you'll get it when you get home. All right. The book of First John is one of the five books in the New Testament that was written by John the Apostle, brother of James, also known as one of the sons of thunder. This letter was believed to be written between AD 85 and AD 100. First John was written to a church or a group of churches who were in crisis by false teachers. And so, as a response, he penned first, second, and third John. All right. First John chapter 3, verse 10 says this, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. 
He who does not love his brother abides in death. He whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today and for your grace and your mercy and all that you have Uh, done for us, through us, around us, Uh, the people that we've been able to minister, the people that have been touched uh, by you uh, through your willing vessels. God, we ask that you would continue to use us as we are willing, Lord. We ask that you would send the workers, for you said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Lord, we want to be able to share your gospel that we may see salvations and that we may see the kingdom being built in your honor, in your glory, the way you want it. And we praise you and thank you for all that you've said and done. In Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God and the church said, Amen. Today's life principle, love makes itself known, lays down its life, and banishes hate. First, let's look at the first one. Love makes itself known. We're going to look at a portion of Scripture at 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. And it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. The children of God and the children of the devil, it says, they are manifest. In other words, you can tell most of the time who is a true Christian and who isn't because of how they behave, because of their actions. Then he talks about those who love their brother. If they don't love their brother or brethren, then you know whom that they serve, and it's not God. In Greek, the term brother here denotes one who is a part of the group, who is a part of a close culture, one who is a part of the Christian community, and even so far as the local body of believers, this body of believers as well. Now, John reminds them that the message that they preached from the beginning is love. And love here means to have love for someone or something based on sincere appreciation, loving someone sincerely and in high regard, to hold them in high regard. Let me ask you a question. Can someone who is unsaved really know what sincere appreciation and hide regard are in a perfect way. Can someone who is unsaved really know what sincere appreciation and high regard are in a perfect way? Well, the answer is no, they can't. Now stay with me here. Don't shut me out. Only one who is born again by the Spirit of God can. You know, before we're saved, the Bible says that we are totally depraved before a holy God. How can something be that is depraved hold sincere appreciation, high regard, or true love? Well, you can't. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. John 3.27 says, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. 
Only the person who is saved can truly understand true love to their uttermost being, to all that they are. And I don't believe that anyone on earth who is still alive understands it to the uttermost completely, saved or not, because we are still dealing with sin, with a sin nature on the inside of us. And But when that is done, when the Christian has shed this mortal body, when he has received his glorified body, then we will completely know. But not until that time. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. John is draws on the example of Cain and Abel earlier, and he quite simply says that he killed his brother because his works were evil and his brothers weren't. Wow, that's kind of a simple statement. He's talking to people who know this. He says, that's not how someone should love another. I look at that and I go, well, duh. You don't kill somebody you love out of hatred. It just doesn't happen. So what's John getting at here? Well, the true Christian, the Bible-believing Christian, kind of love, the Bible-believing kind of love, doesn't do intentional harm to a brother or sister in Christ. Oh, you may do harm, but it's not intentional, nor is it premeditated. When thinking about the best way to describe, explain, and quantify true Christian love, there's no other way better than what is already written in God's Word. And when we look at God's Word, there's no other place more forthright, more forthcoming, more in your face than 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So let's visit that real quick. I won't go into a whole lot of detail on that. You can study that on your own. You've got a nice little pamphlet here, a nice little bulletin where you can take notes. See? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. He's talking about moving in the Spirit of God. He's talking about miraculous things. But if it does not have love, it is clinging brass, clanging cymbals, or sounds as brass. And though I have the gift of prophecy... And I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And this is the best part. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as also I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. 
Love goes beyond just the actions of a person. But it's about how they do those things. How they do those actions. Their motivations. I can give everything I have to the poor. But if I'm doing it to be looked at or, or to make a good name for myself, if I do it in a haughty manner, or look at, look at me, look what I've done. I'm not quite honest about it. I've got my reward. Because it was not done in love. If I'm not quite honest about how I do it, maybe I only give part of it, but I say I gave all of this, when we really shouldn't be saying anything at all. You know what that means? It means nothing. Because it is marred by sin. There's a story in the Bible about a couple who did something very similar. They sold land and they gave a portion of it to the church, which is a good thing, right? Not a bad thing there. But they said it was all of the money they got for it. But it wasn't. Well, what happened? Well, we can find out together in Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And here's where the sin happens. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. The sin was the lying. And then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Now, see, if that had been my wife and, and she hadn't seen me for three hours and didn't know what was going on, she'd be steaming mad when she got there. Of course, they didn't have cell phones back then, I'm just saying. So, his wife comes in. She didn't know what's going on. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And then Peter said to her, How is it in that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And then immediately she fell down and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Well, at least they got to be buried together. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Now, one time of a man dying, you, you could say that, you know, that was a coincidence. But when the wife comes three hours later and it happens again, you can say <laughs> that was God. Thinking about love, you know, got me to thinking about of an old saying, and you've probably heard it. They say, if you lose something, if you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it was and will always will be yours. If it never returns, it was never yours to begin with. And I got to thinking about that, and, and I, honestly, I got to Googling about it. And, you know, in my thoughts, if it just sits in your living room, messes up your stuff, eats your food, uses your telephone, takes your money, and never behaves as if you actually set it free in the first place, you either married it or you gave birth to it, Right? <laughs> 
just to let you know, I stole that joke. All right. Hate, number two, hate has no place in love. Hate has no place in love. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not marvel, my brethren. If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let's look at that first part. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. In other words, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Did you get that part? The world hates you. Okay, good. The world in the sense of, what does he mean, the world? He's talking about the world in the sense of an economic, social, political, and and spiritual things that are in popularity amongst those that are in power, who are those that are influencers around the globe. Well, who or what is currently causing all of this hatred and evil that's going on in the world? And you know what? It's even been disguised as goodness these days. Well, there's an easy answer to that of who's behind all of that. And some people don't believe he still exists, but I'm telling you, he's alive and well today, and that's the devil and his demons. He's behind those kinds of things. Ephesians 2.2 says, In what you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. What an evil time we live in right now. The entire global culture calls good things evil and evil good. You know, God's got some news for people in this world. He said so in in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. He said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Do you want to be assured of your salvation today? Well, the answer, believe it or not, is in our main text and in these supporting texts. Question, do you love the brethren? Do you hold them in the highest regard and sincerity? Do you have some animosity, some hatred, some anger or bitterness to anyone or anything in your life? If you do, then I've got some news for you. You've got a problem. A big one. Because a true born-again, Bible-believing Christian can't not stay in a state of hatred. Let me say it again. They cannot stay in a state of hatred or anger so long that they become bitter. You know, it's almost a trope these days of the bitter old woman who lives down the street. You remember that? Everybody talks about and We make jokes and laugh and all those things. But folks, a Christian cannot stay in a state of hatred or anger so long that they become bitter. You see, God will deal with the believer, and you will either repent of being in hatred, which you should, or you stay unsaved. Because I don't think, and I know, that a Christian cannot stay in hatred. Oh, you may get there, but you cannot stay there. God will deal with the believer. And the believer is to repent of being there. 
which, by the way, when you do repent of being in hatred, it's not just a feeling you keep to yourself. Did you know hatred, by the way, isn't something of a feeling that you keep to yourself? No matter how much you think you're keeping it to yourself, you're not. True hatred exudes from every pore in your body. Whether you try to keep it in or not, it's going to come out. It is open hostility to someone. That's what hatred means. Open hostility. Hatred could cause someone to murder another person. Did you know that? Even the first murder, Cain and Abel. Remember, we just read that. True hatred there happened because he was evil and hated righteousness. And from my point of view, I can't see how somebody can be that way. Why? Because I'm saved. Or maybe I just live in a bubble. Or maybe both. After all, I do spend a lot of time with y'all and spend a lot of time at a Christian school, so maybe it is. I just live in a Christian bubble. But I, for the life of me, cannot fathom people hating you just because the power of God is active and alive in your life. To me, that's something that's to be praised, but not to the evil person. John 3, 19 says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. If you live in this state, then you do not live in God's power. That's the truth. But you are still living in death. You're heading toward an eternity without Jesus, an eternity of torture and judgment. John even appeals to their understanding of the moral law of the day of the Jewish law, telling them, which was widely believed at that time, that no murderer will make it into heaven. He puts hatred on the same level as murder. In reality, and you may not like what I'm about to say, but in reality, if you are living in hatred, you are murdering someone every day, a little at a time, yourself. Every day someone lives in hatred, turning into bitterness. They kill who they are day in and day out. They become nothing but hatred and negativity throughout all that they do. It permeates their being and turns their relationships into rotting death. Eventually, they're left alone in their bitterness and no one wants anything to do with them. And that's sad. They become a zombie in a sense. They lose all joy and they seek to devour other people's lives with their bitterness. But instead of walking around saying brains, they walk around saying joy. Okay, you'll get that joke on the way home. Don't be the zombie of bitterness. Don't be this thing of death. But if that's you today and you live there, come to Christ and repent of your sins. Speaking of hatred, on a less serious note, Bob and Dan were neighbors. Now one day they were talking over the fence, as sometimes neighbors do, And Bob mentioned his dislike for fake, rigged reality TV shows. Well, that got Dan started. 
And he went on for about 45 minutes on how much he absolutely hated fake, rigged reality television shows. It was so bad that Bob tuned him out. Trying to be nice, he just tuned him out. All he caught was something about Survivor this and Big Brother that or something or other. And as the conversation wound down, or I should say as Dan wound down, Dan said he was going to go watch the presidential debates, to which Bob was absolutely mortified. And with a flabbergasted voice, he replied, I thought you absolutely hated fake rigged reality TV shows. Wow. Again, some of y'all will get that tonight as you fall to bed. And lastly, love lays down its life. Love lays down its life. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. How does one know love? How do we know? Because Jesus laid down his life for us. And I'm not talking figuratively. I mean literally laid down his life for us. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Isaiah 53.4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans 4.24, Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. And these are just a few of the verses about what Jesus has done for you and for me. So what should our response be to this? Well, if you're a brother or a sister in Christ, John tells us that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We should be able to give our lives for any Christian in this room without hesitation. But until or unless that is required of us, John tells us how we're supposed to show that selfless love. It should be easy comparing to dying for somebody, shouldn't it? 1 John 3.17 says, But whoever has this world's goods, sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's a rhetorical question. The answer of which is that the love of God does not abide in a person who is not moved with compassion on his brother or sister to help others with their physical needs. Notice I said needs, not wants. There's a difference. There is a lot in our minds we classify as needs and as wants, but truly aren't needs. A need is something that if we absolutely do not have, we will literally die without it. A good example is medications, such as insulin, food, shelter, clothing. They're at the top of that list, too. But at the very top, above all those, is salvation by grace through faith. If this need is not taken care of, I don't care how long you live on this earth, 
You will spend eternity in hell separate from God and all that He has and all that He is. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you are not moved in your innermost being to help others, then may I get real with you for a minute. You may not be saved. Your heart is hardened. Now notice I didn't say that if you don't do something, you're not saved. I said if the Holy Spirit doesn't move you, you're not, you may not be saved. In other words, if you don't help someone, and you know you should, and the Holy Spirit has convicted you to do so, but you don't, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not saved. It does mean you need to repent. Because you just sinned by not being obedient to God. That hurts me. That hurts me. There are many a time I could see the Lord saying, hey, stop for that, man. I feel moved. And there's a time and I'll say, yes, Lord. But unfortunately, there's times that I have said, I don't think so. I don't think so. That's where discernment comes in. Are you hearing the Lord's voice? Or was it last night's kielbasa during that football game? You know, the book of James talks about this very same thing. And while I was looking at that, I like how the New Living Translation puts it. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no need... Who has need and has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good works, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. I love that part. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Hmm. Good deeds won't get you there. Faith in Jesus Christ will get you there. And out of that grace that you receive by faith comes love for others, which pours out in good deeds. Now, on a sad note, we have too many churches, large churches. I'm talking large churches. I know of one personally, but I'm not going to name names. It's a Southern Baptist Church, a very large one. I know of a man who came in who needed help paying a, a bill for medication or whatever. Church turned him away, said, we don't do that here. Here's a list of places you can call. Excuse me? And you say that you are a Christian church? It's one thing if you can't afford it. 
But to turn them away like that when you're building a $2.1 million complex out of pocket without a loan and you can't afford $100 for a medication? That blows my mind. Who are these people? Love makes itself known. If you remember nothing, remember this. Love makes itself known. It lays down its life. And it banishes hate. You may say it like this. Jesus makes himself known, laid down his life, and banishes hate. How about you today? Do you know Jesus? First of all, do you know Jesus as the ladies come? Can you say without a shadow of a doubt, as the Bible says, He is the one that sticketh closest, closer than a brother. Can you say that you walk with Jesus? Christian, can you say that you're not apathetic? That maybe hate in this moment in your life is creeping in or bitterness. Let's get some repenting done. Let's get that out. How about you today? If you need any special prayer, I'm up here. If you'd like to join this church by letter, by statement, or by baptism, you can come up and do that at this time too. Stand as we sing. Miss Joe.